0: Hi, this is Nichelle Nichols, and you're listening to
1: TV Confidential.
0: Aren't we all
1: lucky? Ed Robertson welcoming you back to TV Confidential, radio talk show about television. That is happy to welcome back Mr. Walter. Koenig, Walter Koenig, the actor known around the world for playing not one but two iconic TV characters, the villainous Alfred Bester on Babylon 5, and of course the perpetually cheerful Pavel Chekhov on the original Star Trek TV series and the first seven Star Trek motion pictures. Walter's range of talent not only encompasses the world of acting, but he is also an accomplished writer, director. And producer who has left his mark in the world of the stage, film, publishing, comic books, graphic novels, and several books of his own. As a matter of fact, Walter's latest book is actually two books in one. We'll tell you what we mean by that in just a second. Walter Koenig, welcome back to our program. Thank you. Um Glad to be here. Your latest book which is called Beaming Up and Getting Off Life Before and Beyond Star Trek, it is an update of a book you wrote many years ago called Warped Factors, but there's a whole other section to it which brings us up to date on what you've been doing over the last 10-15 years and there there are three takeaways that I wrote down after reading the entire book. And above all, you are a person of great humor. I mean, I remember that from our previous conversations, but I have to tell you, Walter, there are several passages in your book that made me laugh out loud, and I thank you for that. Good.
0: (laughs) As long as it didn't have to do with
1: anybody's death. No, 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 no. You have a very droll kind of Cleveland Amory, the, the famous TV critic who was the critic for TV Guide for many, many years, he would describe your sense of humor as slow funny, where you, you set the stage as the, as the gifted storyteller that you are, and then you drop the funny on us. <laughs> and sometimes in ways when we don't expect it. You're, you're also a person of great principles, particularly with regard to not only your your acting craft but your writing craft and and though this has gotten you into trouble a couple of times you've stuck to your principles and i think people respect you for that
0: except for the ones who don't <laughs> well, <laughs> there's there,
1: there, there's always a few where do you loaded question where did you find that where did where did that come from
0: i have no idea um you know, I guess just, just who I am and what I am. Believe me, I've, I've told many a story that's fallen flat and that has, has not received a generous response. So I'm totally capable of saying the wrong thing or, or saying it saying, uh, it improperly or, or doing, doing something that is, is terribly embarrassing for my, for my children. You know, oh, God, that's
1: that. But there are times when you stood up for yourself, whether whether it's, for, whether it's on a play or whether it's, you know, something you've done for, for television. You've never been afraid to speak up for yourself because you know that if you don't, you, you may never have that opportunity again, and that may haunt you. And, you know, not, not everybody comes to that insight, but you did.
0: Yeah, I think that's true to an extent. I think there are times that I missed that opportunity when I should've, would've, could've said something that uh, was justified for the occasion. And I didn't, you know, I bit my lip and didn't. Uh, and, and those experiences do haunt you, they do stay with you. And you beat yourself up a little bit for not having uh, the, uh, the balls to, to, to go with what, what you feel, you know, to, to protest an injustice that has been done. But yeah, there, you know, I got fired from one movie of the week for, t- for talking up. The, the director, artistic director of the neighborhood playhouse, the school I went to, was furious with me and accused me of things that I, I, I didn't do. But I needed, I needed to make a point. I needed to say what was on my mind. So it's happened three or four times that I've had a very strong backlash. But on the whole, I think. Uh, I sleep better f- f- confronting
1: those circumstances. Yeah, you, it, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say you're a man with few regrets. That's true.
0: That's true. I, I, I am. Some of the, my regrets are things that I, I had no c- control over. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I would have liked that my role on Star Trek had been more important and more dense and, and, and um, more dimension. But I have no, I have no control
1: over that. Yeah, you had, you had no control over that on the original series. To varying degrees, you had some control over that in the making of the movies. Particularly, I mean, where, where, where it most showed, where it most, you know, blossomed, and you were able to tap Chekhov's potential with Star Trek IV. That was great fun.
0: That was my, my best experience. I thoroughly
1: enjoyed that. Yes, and we're thoroughly enjoying talking to Walter Koenig, the actor known around the world as Chekhov on the original Star Trek, the first seven Star Trek movies, Uh, Alfred Bester on Babylon 5. Walter's memoir, Beaming Up and Getting Off, is the story of his life and career before, during, and after Star Trek. Uh, It's available, Beaming Up and Getting Off, is available through our friends at Brown. MediaGroup.com. You can also find it uh, Amazon.com. Wherever find books. are sold. you mentioned the Neighborhood Playhouse, which is the uh, theater group that you uh, were part of uh, in the early 1960s in New York during you know your formative years as a professional actor. I had forgotten. You know what a what, what what a great esteemed group of actors you were you were studying with at the time. You know we're talking about people like James Caan. We're talking about people like Dabney Coleman, Brenda Vaccaro. Jessica Walter, and an actor that you became very close to at the time, Christopher Lloyd.
0: Yeah, it's all true. You know, I, I look back at the, in those days, and I think, now, who would I have thought during that period would emerge as a, a significantly popular and uh, actor who, who works a lot? And, um, you know, Brenda, because she was very talented and very emotional... Elizabeth Ashley because she was extremely pretty, and and um, had a good stage presence. I wouldn't I wouldn't have guessed Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> well, but because because of course you know I, I was I, I, I would have been thinking in terms of leading man and you know uh, people who would actors who would go on to be successful in in that niche. And the fact of the matter is. He's been extraordinarily successful, but uh, you know, playing really far-out um, comic character parts. And uh, so he—he he was somebody I wouldn't have guessed be that successful. You know, in retrospect, I say, well, yeah, James Cohn. Uh, I wasn't all that super uh, excited about his work when we were in school, but certainly he has a um, leading man presence. Where he could have become the person he did, and, um, and and so it happened. So I, I you know, I, actually, I, the, the person that I picked out was a, was a young woman, a student, who, as far as I know, never uh, never uh, achieved very much. But she was. Her name is Shirley Dalziel, mm-hmm. and uh, but she was a terrific actress. She was a terrific actress. But you know, it's it. This, that business industry is is so you you can't predict you can't make determinations as to who'll succeed and who won't i mean there's some people you think obviously well they're so commercially attractive that they have a very good chance but in general it's a, it's a curious uh, situation in which uh, people achieve great success and it's unpredictable that, that that would happen. And there are the, those who should have had more success and didn't. I'm, I'm, I'm stalling here because there's a word I'm trying to think of, and I can't think of it. But you get the idea.
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of the word kismet. I'm thinking luck comes to mind, but a lot of things have to line up at the right time right, for stuff right. to happen. You know. Uh,
0: the word I was thinking of was capricious.
1: That's a good word. <laughs> uh, yeah whether it fits or not, it's <laughs> but no you're 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 right it is one of the it is one of the vag- vagaries of your profession, you know being an actor um I dare say our profession because you're a writer and I am a writer, so we have that in common and you know a lot of times the difference between something. You know seeing print or, or being made into a movie a lot of times it comes down to is your manuscript in the hands of of, of an acquisitions person who was looking for something right now and right. There's, and there's Walter's manuscript
0: yeah, yeah right I mean there's just so many so many variables and, and circumstances and cool, you know that um, it can't you can't make it an absolute determination as to uh, assuming that the talent level is this same, yeah. you still can't assume who's going to be a big success and who's going to give it up after five years.
1: And every now and then, you do need a little bit of luck. Whether it, absolutely, with, whether it's luck in the in the most capricious sense of the word. See, so I work that in. Or if luck can sometimes be in the form of sometimes you have an angel watching over your shoulder, and you had a couple of angels watching over your shoulder in the course of your career, one of which was Joseph D'Agosta, who was the, you know, and uh, Walter has a great story about how a part that Gosta cast him on for the series Mr. Novak had played a very, very pivotal role in Walter eventually becoming Ensign Chekhov on Star Trek. That is, that is one of the many stories that Walter shares in his memoir, Beaming Up and Getting Off, Life Before and Beyond, Star Trek, available from our friends at Jacobs Brown Media Group, uh, as well as Amazon.com, all fine online retailers. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. One of my favorite lines in the book, and this goes back to James Caan, you, you may not have connected with him when you were studying together at the Neighborhood Playhouse, but you worked together at least one time in, in right. television after that, and he... Uh, you have a funny story about how one thing you learn from them is actors never run to their trailer when they're called.
0: Well, stars don't.
1: Oh, stars don't. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. I, yeah.
0: Uh, we, we had eaten lunch together in the cafeteria. Of course, I knew Jimmy um, from the Playhouse, and we were playing opposite each other. I mean, we. I was the bad guy and he was the good guy. And we had finished lunch, Hedda Hopper had stopped and told him that he was on his way to stardom. I remember that, and and I don't think she knew that I was sitting next to him. <laughs> I, ne- I, never, I never caught her gaze, uh, but that, that was all right. Uh, I mean, that wasn't a big deal. But we were com- coming back, and we were strolling, and um, which was his gait, and I just was imitating his gait. He was a more important actor, mm-hmm. so I fe- felt strolling was appropriate. Him and I was gonna, I was just gonna hitch a ride on that. Am, am I making this really
1: much too complicated? No, no, no. Well, the the the, the <laughs> point the point is is that he carried himself a certain way because he he saw his path going in a certain direction.
0: Absolutely, and yeah, and I was following behind. Yeah. So, in any case, so uh, we were fifty, still fifty feet from the soundstage, and one of the assistant directors came out and said. Hey you guys, hurry up. We're Anita. They're waiting for you. And I started to run, and Jimmy grabbed my arm and said, "Stars don't run." <laughs> and uh, he proved it. you know I mean he, he, he did become a movie star and he had a great success, great career. Yeah, but that's I, I I never tried it
1: on my own. But, no, no, but but the key point is that it's, it's how you carry yourself It's how you perceive yourself, you know, right. and right. and and in that there's a sense of there's a sense of okay, this I mean I'm not going to do that because that's that's not that's not how I'm I'm wired, and it goes back to how we started our conversation because you've always had a sense of dignity, whether it's regard to the character you're asked to play, or just who you are. And that was very important throughout your career is that, you know, no matter what the ups and downs of your life as an actor has been, it was very important that you maintain a solid sense of self-worth.
0: Thank you. Uh, I think that's true to to, certainly to a degree. I don't know if I can, if I can, um, if, you know, I did it. I stood up for myself and stood up for what I believed in without exception. There probably were times when I capitulated. Mm-hmm. I do remember that when I, I was brought in to uh, pitch an idea for The Incredible Hulk uh, as a writer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if your fans know, but the way it usually works with, with independent writers is they come in and they verbally pitch an idea, which they do for free. There's no payment for that. It, but if they like the idea... They let you go on to do an outline, and you you do get paid for the outline a certain amount of money. And if they like the outline, you go on to do a first draft, and they can require you to do a second draft each time you get paid more. So I came in, I pitched an outline about an Incredible Hulk story, and I had it taking place in Appalachia, where the people were very isolated and were, were not part of the general population, community. They, 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 they were people living in hills. And I had gotten my idea from the newspaper uh, about a, uh, a community that was made up mostly of African Americans and Native Americans. And they were pretty much cut off from the, the rest of the society. And, and they lived, you know, very m- much on their own. And my idea was that the Hulk manifests it, itself in their community, and they see this rather strange, grotesque-looking being, and they think of it as an evil spirit, as a warrior spirit, somebody to be afraid of. And I and I pitched it, and they liked it. The two ladies who were in charge, and then I went and I, I did the outline, and they really liked the outline. And in fact, at that point, they they asked me if I'd be interested in becoming a story editor over there. That kind of scared me. I didn't want to a nine-to-five job where I'd have to come in every day.
1: And plus, you were more interested in writing your own stories versus editing and fixing others.
0: Yeah, But I went on and I wrote the first draft, and then I got a note saying uh, they wanted some... that they loved it, they were going to go ahead, but they they needed some changes. And the changes came from the executive producer, who had been off shooting a two-part Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. And so he wasn't around when I was hired and he only found out about me and the story that I had already written when he returned. So he was present when I came back and I could see that the ladies were already withdrawing a little. Uh, They seemed more in the shadows than they had the first two times I was there. And what it was, was that the executive producer who had been a Marine at some point, I don't know how that fits in, but I think it does somewhere.
1: Well, it's force of personality.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Good for you. What are you doing the next? <laughs> <laughs> so, what he wanted me to do, he wanted, He said, well, "We're going to go ahead and do your story, but we want to put it in Mexico instead of Appalachia." And that this is one of those moments when, when I think principle uh, plays a role. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, I, I can't do that. And he says, what do you mean you can't do that? I said, if we put it in Mexico, we are saying uh, that these are peasants, that, that this community, we are, we are delineating who they are, and we are stereotyping them as people of very little education. And, uh, and you know, that they have these crazy religious beliefs, and we're, we're making a, a statement about who they are, uh, as a, uh, you know, prototypically. And they said, well, we, we can't shoot it in Appalachia. There would never be a society there, a community, that didn't know better than to think of this as being as being, in some way, they would think of this thing as being real and attribute to it, personality and a concept. And a- that
1: you didn't necessarily intend when you were writing the story.
0: Yeah, I just thought if we made the Mexicans we were saying that they were dumb.
1: Yeah, and as a storyteller, it's important that to the extent you can, the story reflect what you had in mind. Yeah. And it's tricky with network television uh, because and when you're a freelancer, yes, you write a story, but it ultimately has to reflect the vision of the of the producer and what he has in mind in the story. So you have to Sometimes you have to compromise to do that, and if it's sometimes you do and sometimes you don't, you chose not to. And yeah,
0: yeah, and they said to me, you know, if you don't do what we're asking, we can't use your story. Yeah. And I said, well, these two ladies, they heard my pitch, and they saw my outline, and they saw my first draft, and they were all on my side. They, they were enthusiastic. He says, well, I'm not enthusiastic. So that was the end of that. Yeah. The, the, the curious thing is, So I didn't get produced, but they paid me anyway.
1: Yeah, which as working writer to working writer, you can't ask for more than that. I mean, I guess the the only other thing more than that you can ask is is to see it produced, but you were paid for your time.
0: Yeah, and they respected me uh, to do the honorable thing because I was carrying out the story that we had all agreed on. It wasn't as if I had written something different than what I had pitched. No. So they had the integrity to, to pay me, And I had the the integrity, for want of a better word,
1: uh, not to write it. Walter Koenig is on the line with us. Walter Koenig, the actor known around the world as Mr. Chekhov on Star Trek and Alfred Besser on Babylon 5. We'll take a quick time out, then we'll talk some more with Walter about his adventures in television, both in front of the camera and behind the scenes when we continue our conversation here on TV Confidential.
2: Buying or selling a home can be one of the most stressful things we'll ever do in life. But it doesn't have to be. And no one knows better than our friends at Front Porch Realty Group. their community of realtors serving the Northern Bay Area of California that cares about their clients as individuals first and foremost. Whether you're a first-time buyer or looking to lease or sell your property in the Bay Area, Front Porch Realty Group will help you through this important transition by providing you with the right information for your situation while lessening the pain. They also work with a network of realtors throughout California who provide the same high caliber of customer service. Call Front Porch Realty Group at 415-886-7411 for a realtor referral near you. You can also visit their website, frontportrealtygroup.com for more information on the services they provide, including upcoming workshops and seminars. For more information, call 415 415- 886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com. Front Porch Realty Group. They'll find the solution that works best for you.
1: Want a free first ride with Uber? Uber, the mobile app that connects you with a ride at the touch of a button in minutes. Enter promo code Confidential after you download the app to receive your first free ride up to $20. For more information, go to get.uber.com forward slash go forward slash tv confidential you can now purchase t-shirts mugs caps hoodies wall clocks and other gifts with the tv confidential logo from the official tv confidential merchandise shop for more information go to televisionconfidential.com forward slash merchandise or cafepress.com forward slash tv confidential cafepress.com forward slash tv confidential be part of our conversation if you like what you hear